Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Welcome to episode 400. This special episode features Shabala Lasself, who is an artist born in Harlem who lives and works in upstate New York. She received her undergraduate degree at Bard and her MFA from Yale, and her recent solo exhibitions and performances include the Kunstmuseum in St. Gallen, the Consortium in Dijon, Performa 2021 Biennial in New York City, the Baltimore Museum of Art, the ICA in Boston, the Hammer Museum in Los Angeles, Art Omni in Ghent, the Used Museum in Shanghai, and many others. She's had several museum shows and has had residencies at the Studio Museum in Harlem, the Red Bull House of Art in Detroit, Liquitex Work Residency in London, and the Fountainhead Residency in Miami, and many others. Her work has been covered in Art in America, Art Forum, Artnet, Bomb, Cultured, Essence, Freeze, Hyperallergic, The New York Times, T Magazine, The Art Newspaper, The Guardian, Vogue, W, and more. Her work can be found in countless institutions with highlights that include the Art Institute of Chicago, the Baltimore Museum of Art, the Brooklyn Museum, the California African American Museum, the Hirshhorn, LACMA, the New Museum, the MCA in LA, the Guggenheim, the Studio Museum in Harlem, and the Whitney Museum. We spoke about growing up with older siblings, music from the 90s, the female figure in art, school days, off-balance balance, and much more. This episode is brought to you by Golden Artist Colors. Check out Golden's paints and supplies in your local art store. They make the best acrylics, Williamsburg oil colors, core watercolors, really great materials, and a huge thank you on this a significant episode for their long withstanding sponsorship of the podcast check them out at goldenpaints.com or at your local art store and a big thank you to fulcrum coffee roasters and their long withstanding sponsorship if you want to get some great coffee delivered to your door check out fulcrum coffee roasters and a huge thank you to all you listeners everyone who supported the podcast listened to the podcast left a review a rating shared it with a friend shared it with students any support that you've given over these past 400 episodes has been amazing. So again, I just want to thank you all for listening, supporting the podcast, and without further ado, here's our conversation. But yeah, you're, you, so you were born in Harlem, but do you, I mean, for a while it seemed like you were living in New Haven, and now, at, according to your website, Upstate New York, are you still, like, not in the city, or...? Yeah, I grew up in Harlem. Um, when I went to graduate school, that's when I first moved to New Haven. And I didn't really fully move out of New Haven until this past August. So I was in New Haven for uh, roughly 10 years as well, like 2013 to 2023. Um, that's a long New Haven stint. It was a long stay. <laughs> I had a pretty good setup there with my apartment and my studio. So I didn't really want to move until I had a somewhere set up in another place. I could see myself staying for good amount of time um and that new place ended up being upstate new york so yeah my ceo now is currently in catskill new york and i live in hudson it's so nice up there it is nice we try to go up 
as much as possible to stay in Airbnbs and like breathe in air. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> but it's funny because I mean, not to, I mean, I had a great two years in New Haven, but it's so often a place where people go, go to school and then they, they leave or go somewhere else. And I mean, especially considering you grew up in the city, I don't know, or maybe that was, there was something refreshing about being outside of the city. Obviously you stayed outside the city. Yeah, I mean, I was just curious about having a different experience, like having grown up in New York. And um, New Haven isn't so far from New York. I mean, it's only an hour and a half drive from Harlem, especially. And it's a lot of transplants from Harlem and New Haven. And New Haven's not quite a suburban area. It's quite urban, to be honest. So um, it's a lot of cultural overlaps. Did you find a good studio space during school or after school? Probably after, right? It was after school because, you know, after you graduate from the program, you move out of the facilities. So I found a space in New Walesville. Nice. Um, so, well, let's go back to the Harlem experience of growing up in the city. Um, I read a little bit about your um, your experience growing up, and, you know, it sounds like your mother was... Um, or your family was sort of like fans of the arts and she was doing sewing and working with fabrics and, you know, was the experience of growing up a creative one? Um, yeah, I would say so. I mean, my mother sewed and collected fabric as a hobby, but for her job, she actually ran a program. She was the, the director of a program called Project Hire at Bronx Community College. And it was mm-hmm. a um, training program for people who were experience like youth disenfranchisement who wants to join different various trade unions in the city so she would um train people um and give them the skills they needed to join like you know the carpenters union or you know join con ed like things like that um so she was very familiar with people who and she had a lot of respect for people that um used their hands basically every day at work um, yeah. and she saw the, she saw art as being, uh, being a trait. That's primarily how she viewed it. So for her, if I want this, this is, if this was something I sincerely wanted to pursue, she re- really encouraged me, um, pursuing it, you know, through my education. So going to school for right. art, um, really learning how to make art, um, within like an academic context. So right. That was the main thing that I took away from my mother in regards to how to approach being a creative person, Um, but also her fascination with fabric and her belief that various textiles have this like cultural um, importance. This is mainly why she would collect different fabrics. That's something too that um, I've definitely taken from my household. My father, he was a writer. So my parents originally moved to New York because my dad was actually pursuing his MFA at Columbia. This is like back in the 70s. This is why they moved from New mm-hmm. Orleans. So I would definitely say between my two parents, they both had a, um, different kinds of relationships, but strong relationships to, you know, the creative class. And just growing up in the city, I mean, having many neighbors, some who were actors, some who were writers, some who were visual artists, some who were dancers. Harlem in the 90s was full of many creative people. And I think just being a person who lives in New York, I mean, that takes a bit of creativity, even if you have a 
you know, That's nine true. to five. Yeah. It's just something about living in the city creates this level of flexibility in one's personality that makes you a creative person. Yeah, you're not really passive in the city, right? Like be. everything's kind of there and happening whether you like it or not. So you're going to see art, you're going to see, you're going to hear music. It's all kind of there. And that gift of, or at least I feel like, I guess you don't know otherwise, but having parents or a, a, a situation growing up to where not only are, is creativity of the arts supported, but there's this feeling of there could be a pathway to doing it. I think is it's so amazing when I hear that. I mean, I grew up, my parents were both working class and they just, you know, my dad drove a truck and my mom cleaned houses and, you know, there wasn't a lot of like pathways to becoming an artist, really. It wasn't even a thought, you know, so um, it's having that around is, when you're young must be really great. I mean, it is something interesting, but I didn't really know the thing about my father, especially I didn't really know that about him until I was much older because he never spoke mm -hmm. about having gone to school for writing. He has because his whole life he worked at a pub as a public school teacher, um, high school teacher, mm -hmm. English teacher. It wasn't it, has, it was something that I found out like by happenstance, like by the time I was maybe like 18. He never spoke about going to like graduate school. He never really spoke much about any of his writing. Something I found out about his life when I was old, a bit older, to be honest with you. But once I found that out, it made so much sense because like, okay, this explains a lot about daddy's personality. Right. So. <laughs> well, you'd imagine an educator spent a lot of time in academia or, or learning, right? But yeah, I guess it's funny that it wasn't really mentioned at all. Yeah, but... I know. Maybe I, it was traumatic. <laughs> I think it was. It's like you people know, go off the war and they don't talk about it. It's like, I, yeah, I, went, to, I went to Columbia and I'm not talking about it. You know, I don't know if you have any friends who are writers. But I feel like writers are quite moody people, you know? So I don't I, know a lot of them, to be honest. Not I randomly have a good amount of friends who are writers. I feel like they are even That's more cool. dramatic than artists, visual artists. I can see and that. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> Once I found that yeah, out. You know, <laughs> there's, there's probably a similar, like a parallel existence of most of the creative work is done by yourself. Like artists usually go to a studio and sit in a box by themselves and make images, you know what I mean, or make things. And writers usually, at the end of the day, they sit down at a computer and they're writing. So I think there's something to be said about people who get lost in the world, you know. But writing mm -hmm. seems, I mean, writing is really, really difficult as far as I can, you know, muster. <laughs> I would agree, 100%. Yeah, it's a it's a tricky thing as a visual person, I think, to, to iron things out on the page. But there's something amazing about it, too. Um, so, but you said he was originally from New Orleans, is that right? Both my parents, yeah. Nice. Okay, so that transitions because I do like to talk about art and music. Was music a thing in the household growing up? Yeah, my especially my dad. My dad loved music. It's so many albums, um, then eventually CDs and well, cassettes and then CDs. But um, yeah, my dad really, really, really loved music, and many of my siblings loved music. Like I would say that my preoccupation with, you know, pop culture really comes from like my two, my siblings are the closest to me in age, who are both a little bit older than me, both about a decade older than me. But when I was a kid, yeah. like around four or five, they were teenagers. So, um, well, actually, no. When I was like smaller, from like one to five, they were teenagers. 
and they would always play so much music, like hip hop, R and B. Constantly watching so many different music videos, that was like their main thing. So, yeah. because they were teens and I was like a little kid, I, they kind of had like um, priority over like what we watched when it was on television. So I just remember watching so many music videos with them. And music videos, I think, um, have always been a big source of visual inspiration for me, especially that mm-hmm. that aesthetic. Oh, that 90s aesthetic of music videos, especially how it framed um, femininity, particularly black femininity. Right. So um, I think that's kind of been one of the foundational elements of my artistic interests and development. Yeah, I I read that about your interest in the portrayal of the female sort of experience in, in those videos and how you navigated that sort of conceptually in some of the ways that you're thinking about representing the figure i mean the 90s was such a epic decade for music i think especially r&b and hip-hop i mean because i kind of came to age in the 90s like that's when i was in high school and you know there was the split between you know i skateboarded so there's a split between kind of like the smiths or like that sort of like new wave alternative and then we were listening to like public enemy tribe called quest ghetto boys stuff like that and it was such a dynamic it was both kind of punk in a way but the music was so i don't know we i guess as you get older there's certain decades that resonate but the 90s was huge for me so i can't imagine like because if you have older much older siblings Mm -hmm. like i only have my brother who's four years older and that's kind of close but you must have been getting exposed to everything yeah my sibling my close my sibling closest in age to me is 12 years older so um, the the range is like twelve years older to twenty one years older. Um, so my a lot, my siblings have kind of been, like, kind of pretty much adults my whole life. Um, yeah. And I spent a lot of time with them, so I definitely feel like that has made me maybe more sophisticated in some ways, more mature, because I've always been around so many adults and so many adults in the household. Right. Um, and because we lived in like a, you know, we lived in a pretty big house in Harlem, they would always have so many friends over, like friends, boyfriends, girlfriends. There's always a lot of people in the house, I remember, growing up. Yeah. So, Man, I remember and then a lot of energy. The, yeah, and well, having those older siblings kind of like matures you quicker because they're probably not editing the stuff they're watching or seeing that much. So you get that. And then just growing up in the city... I mean, I grew up in Pittsburgh, which is not really like a big city. So I can't imagine like having a kid growing up here and the stuff you're exposed to and the stimulus when you walk outside. It's just, it's crazy. It It's a whole different, I can't imagine growing up in that, you know, especially but here you are. Yeah, especially Harlem <laughs> in the 90s. Harlem in the 90s was a very active, it was a very active place. And so when you yeah. were outside, you were really outside. Um so that for sure too but i mean i love that i think the biggest thing too that people get from growing up in a city is um like you know you become very resourceful you know you have to figure things out you figure things out it's never like a matter of oh i don't know what to do you know (laughs) you have to be pretty good at problem solving well especially too because you you know you didn't have the phone and the internet there front stage setter your whole you know, life growing up i mean kids these days it's weird it's different it must be so different i imagine but you know you had to 
really figure things out. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like I'm very, very thankful for all those experiences. Um, having, I'm very thankful to have grown up in New York. I would never have wanted to grow up any other place at any other time. Um, I feel like that's it's helped create a lot of my um, core values and um, a lot of my core personality traits. Um, yeah. But yeah, but at this point in my life, it's exciting to have a different experience other than such like an intense metropolitan experience as the one I had growing up. So this is why I like right. living out, outside, outside of the city at this point. Yeah, I imagine you're taking in a little bit of nature. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nature. Um, and just a more like carefree, like day to day, um, like lifestyle, which I think is, um, which is interesting. Cause like, so in New York, I feel like also you learn, which is a really, really good thing to learn. I think this, you know, like on a spiritual level, you learn how to be part of a collective. Yeah. Um, and how to respect it or not. (laughs) Yeah. And how to respect the collective, like how to kind of take on a hive mind. Um, right. when you're in a, when you're in a subway, there's a certain etiquette, even if it's unspoken, when you're walking down the street, there's a certain etiquette, there's a certain way of communicating with people, um, to respect their boundaries and to, you know, protect your own. And you pick up on all of that. It's all subliminal. So you, you learn how to just, how to integrate yourself into the mass. Right. Which I think is a really good thing to experience. But I think when you live in a place that's more rural, then you learn how to be an individual, you know, or you learn how... I've- to exist on your own and some people i think that's frightening for them especially people who are used to being a part of the hive yes so i um, completely agree yeah i've often thought it would be a great sort of like mandatory um study abroad to where everyone in america who lives in a rural area has to spend a year in a city and vice versa yeah (laughs) so you just have to go acclimate to all these different people different cultures, different energy. And then the people in the city have to go out and figure out, you know, what dirt is or bugs or, (laughs) you know, like make a campfire or do things like that. I think it would be so useful for everyone. I think it would be too. And then you also, I think living in a, in a more rural environment is also like very humbling because you understand, like you understand how powerful nature is. You understand how powerful animals are even like just even being able to see the sky in the evenings is a really transformative experience because the thing for me like when you're in a city like you forget that you're on a planet you know right. not to get too totally. heady or anything but like if you're in new york no, you're, you're, there is no so right there's no sky and there's no stars at night so you're you're kind of believing this thing that you know you you believe in the whole thing more because you, you just know it's nothing it's nothing physically contradicting this idea but right. In the evenings, to be able to see all those stars, and be able to see the sky, it just reminds you that, you know, you're just another speck on a planet. That's maybe one of exactly. hundreds of thousands in the universe. <laughs> it's so true. I feel like it was. it's the vintage dynamic that we have now between, like, being on the computer and the internet and then just being around other people and doing things. This was, like, the old school version where it was, like, when you're in the city... To your point, I just thought about that the other day. I was in the city for a while, and it was kind of golden hour. And I could tell that the sky was going to be amazing. You know, I had that thought, but you just don't see it. And then I was going somewhere, and I hit sort of a clearing, industrial area, where you could actually see the sky. And it was like, oh, yeah, everyone's missing this who's in the middle of all those buildings, you know. And it's so important to sort of like, you know, zoom out. Because you can get 
too involved in that racket, you know. Again, a year away, a year in, you know, in the country just to adapt to it, I think would be really great. I mean, when you were growing up, did you, well, A, did you kind of take advantage of the city in the sense, were you going to see art and music live and all that stuff? Or were you kind of like in your zone? And then did you ever take those trips to New Orleans or upstate or anywhere else? I never went upstate my entire life going to the city. I mean, growing up in a city. I only went up to upstate when I went to Bard for college. I was like 18. Mm-hmm. And I didn't yeah. even really go to Brooklyn until I was like 13, to be honest. Isn't that funny? Yeah. <laughs> so like, city, how people are like, it's like another state or something. Yeah, I didn't go to Brooklyn or Queens or Long Island. I think I went to Staten Island again when I was like 17. And like certain places I just never went my entire life. But... um I spent most of my time in Manhattan. I went, I lived in Harlem, and then I went to school on the Upper East Side. So, my main, my main area I went to was just up and down Madison Avenue, you know. Right. Yeah. So, I don't know. The number three bus went straight from my house to my school. So anyone from New York who knows the number three, the M three in Manhattan, it goes straight yeah. from Harlem to the Upper East Side and straight back. So I've probably spent hundreds of thousands of hours on that bus but going to school there i went to the met a lot you know oh nice so because the met was really close to when you're young right yeah it's so much fun you know why especially because um they have this amazing playground that's egyptian themed yeah Anyone who grew up in New York in the 90s knows this playground. (laughs) It's like an Egyptian-themed playground. (laughs) That's right next to the Met. So I would always go there, like, after school. This is, like, when I was in elementary school, I would go there a lot. And then sometimes go into the Met and go to the gift shop. Because the Met, I don't know if it still is, but it used to be, like, you can donate how much. If you're a New Yorker, you can donate how much you want to go in. So you can put, like, a quarter in and go. Suggested admission. Yeah. So I would go there. Although I think they made it admission admission now right or you have to make a case for it i don't know it's, i'm not sure it's but i remember it used to be suggested admission so we used to i used to even go there with friends sometimes like in middle school if you want something just to be outside the house but you don't really want to pay anything yeah you could spend all night in there on the fridays and saturdays they were open late so yeah. well i imagine you took in some of the art right or it had an impact oh, of course yeah absolutely um I mean, we used to love going to the Egyptian wing because that was pretty exciting. But then yeah, also, they really cool. Yeah, you have the contemporary art sections as well. But you have all the, the cool thing about the Met is that it has it has art, but also has all these like artifacts. And it was always so cheap to go to, so I remember going there a ton. Yeah, it's really kind of as opposed to some other museums where it could be a show or a little bit here and there. It it is really a broad look at, you know creative activity in the world which is pretty nice to have that expansive view yeah it is it was really really cool so um all of my schools for the most part um from elementary school through to high school were on the museum mile in new york so Mm -hmm. except for my middle school my middle school was more in yorksville so it's closer to the river but um especially and when i was in middle school my middle school i went to wagner it was on 76th Street. So the old Whitney used to be on 76th Street. If I'm remembering cor- correctly, I remember you had to pass that building to get to my middle school. The, yeah, the Brewer, where the Met, right? where the Met Bureau is now. funky building. Yeah, but that used to yeah, be the yeah. Whitney like when I was a yeah. kid. And so I'm, all those institutions were 
I would always be like in my periphery, going to school, leaving school, and we would also do field trips, going to these various places because they were so near close. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely spent a lot of time at those institutions as a child. Not to say that I knew who were who the people were inside of them, <laughs> what the work was, but um, you know, I was at least familiar with the process of going to the museum. Right. Yeah. And seeing that, I mean, I didn't, well, I guess I went to the Carnegie Museum, which was, had its collection, but that was kind of it, you know, and I didn't know much. I I remember seeing like an early Rothko or something and being like, what the, you know, being confused and kind of intrigued, but, and, and then there was this sort of classic wing with like all the artifacts and stuff, which was awesome when you're younger, you're just into that. But yeah, you must've seen so much. I mean, when you were in school, were your subjects, I mean, did you veer towards the art classes and stuff? Or were you kind of, uh, what was really getting you going when you were young as far as creativity is concerned? So um, starting in middle school, actually, I did take a lot of art classes in elementary school. Because I went to PS6 and that was, um, they used to have much, really, really great art classes in public schools. So mm-hmm. I had this really passionate um, teacher, art teacher, I remember when I was in elementary school and I, like her class was fantastic. I remember even at one point she gathered like a group of kids who were, I guess doing particularly well in the class and we were asked to come in on Saturdays to repaint the school, the school mural, which was really nice. So I really yeah. remember that experience a lot. We painted the mural like in the, um, the courtyard of the school. And I remember that was like my biggest art highlight in elementary school. <laughs> and then I kind yeah. of knew at that point that I really enjoyed art making. Then in middle school, right. I, um, I was at Wagner in 76. And that school was so rowdy. So I remember my mom was like, okay, after school, I want you to go to after school program. I was like, okay. <laughs> so then the after school program I went to was at Harlem School of the Arts. Mm-hmm. And I would take art classes there. I took some music classes, but I'm horrible at playing instruments. So I was going to um, ask if you <laughs> like if you had music classes, instruments, singing, or anything. I have no I have no ability in any of those fields. I have no ability in singing, and I have zero ability in instruments. But I did really well in my art classes. So I would get scholarships to take free ones there as well. Nice. So I took a ton of um, art classes at. Harlem School of the Arts for after school. And ironically, one of my professors there, um, he actually had gone to Bard. Like, he was a recent Bard grad who was living in New York, and he was teaching there. And he was, like, the first person I ever heard, like, mention Bard before. So, um, so yeah, so that was actually really, really cool. But so that, did that plant a seed unconsciously in your mind of that as a possibility? Yeah, yeah, it did. It was um, it was really, really good. But yeah, so Harlem School of the Arts was like a big part of my middle school like art development, and yeah. it actually was really close to where I lived as well. So it was like a really easy place to get to. And then in high school, I wanted to start to I started working. I got my um, like my working papers. So mm-hmm. I started like helping out at the Children's Art Carnival as well, which is in Harlem. So I was like doing things nice. like this. Um, and then also yeah. in, in high school, I started like working at a couple like cool shops I had in, in the neighborhood. There was like these boutiques that existed in my neighborhood. There were kind of these like, creative spaces, like fashion boutiques. I would work there. And there's always a bunch of characters that came in, in and out of there at those places. <laughs> so, cool. 
That's cool. Wow, you started working early. Yeah, because I, I mean, you can get your you could get your working papers at fourteen in New York. So I got them. I mean, I didn't work. I worked on this in the summers, you know. Right. So yeah. I didn't really work during the year. I would have to do small things, but that's it. No, I'm just thinking. My son, I got a kid. Maybe he could be working <laughs> yes. for a couple years. <laughs> Anyways, that's a different topic. Um, <laughs> so. So when you were getting ready to graduate high school, did you, were you thinking, oh, I want to go somewhere where I could study art or, I mean, the Bard thing obviously happened. So I don't know what, you know, the possibilities were at that point. Um, I applied to like a lot of different colleges. I wasn't sure like about, I wasn't thinking about art per se when I was going to college. I was just, I was still wasn't sure that it was something that I really wanted to pursue. I mean, I'd mm-hmm. taken, I could, had continued to take art classes in high school and art history classes as well. Um, and I had, I had some really, really great arts faculty in high school as well. And I also had gotten some, you know, a little bit of success. Like I got a Scholastic Award and has started getting a little bit of rec- recognition for my art, which is really exciting. In so, high school? Yeah, in high school, which was nice. That's pretty, pretty amazing. I mean, art history classes in high school and and that kind of, I mean, you know, you had a kind of a head start, which I guess makes sense. In New York City, it's amazing. The high schools, you can specialize, you know, all that, the resources. It's pretty great. I also, I went to prep school for high school as well. So they had like a lot of specialized classes. Um, they actually yeah. had a pretty, pretty good art history department there. Um, but it was, it was pretty conservative um, art history. Like you, like the cla- classical art, like Renaissance, like all that kind of stuff. Like mostly focusing on like Greco-Roman um, artistically, yeah. was like nothing, nothing even like, nothing really even like nineteenth century art. Um, no, Linda Bengalis. <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. Oh, but I, you're kind of remember, making me remember things I have forgotten. But I had a friend, a really good friend in high school. Um, her her dad actually um, was Reed from Chime and Reed. So I remember. Oh wow! I I was I used to intern there on Saturdays. This is like probably this is one oh, of my so you had the gallery experience too. You this is one of my all. favorite. This is one of my favorite jobs I've ever had. It wasn't really a job; it was an internship. But I would go there every Saturday, and um, they would have me put in the type in the emails from you know the people come put their emails in the book. I would type in all my email, yeah. type in all the emails on an Excel sheet. Oh, and I would get tw- book to email list. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I would nice. get twenty dollars a day for doing that. And that was amazing for me because, oh, I got $20 and a lunch reimbursement. So I remember I used to go to Botino's and get like my favorite sandwich. Ooh, nice. Okay, but you know, Botino's had such good sandwiches, still do, still does. And I would go by the river, I would eat my sandwich, get my reimbursement, and I had $20. So I could hang out um, downtown with my friends and stuff after I left my internship. This would have been Saturday night. And then my mom would let me stay out late because I had $20 for a cab. And tw- back then, you could take a cab from West 4th to 145th, and it only cost $20. So I would use my my stipend money to take a cab, a yellow cab, every night when I came back home. <laughs> Man, your high school experience is slightly different than mine. <laughs> I didn't even know what a calorie was until I got to college. Um, that's amazing. Did you get any you know, early insight to the whole gallery experience then, or was it pretty tame? It was still, I mean, honestly, it was still so opaque. That's why I, but this is why I enjoyed just being in the environment. I was just trying to figure out what everything was, like who everyone was, 
you know. But I think ultimately, yeah. again, it was just a good experience. It's just, a, it's just good to, I got to see all the shows um, that were up right. then. It was really exciting when I had to like bring coffee or bring printouts to the back office where they had the archive. I remember they had a huge wall of art forms. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. the largest wall of art forms I've ever seen, <laughs> probably still to this day. <laughs> Right. And then they were, it was just interesting, which is cool, you know. And I was yeah, a kid. I mean, you're getting so. the inside look. Because you yeah. can never, as a young person, get back there. You felt like that was like, you know, secret land or something. Did, were there any shows that like knocked you out or that you remember that was just like, whoa, you know, that? Yes, actually. Um, they had a Gata Amir show, which is really amazing. Nice. Um, yeah, they had yeah. a Louis, Louis Bourgeois show, um, really amazing, while I was interning there. They also had a. I remember seeing so much of Donald Bachelor stuff there too, which I was really oh, fascinated yeah. with um, at that point. Yeah, that hits, right? It One really of my does. first shows <laughs> I ever saw in Soho, it was when Donald Bachelor showed, oh crap, I can't remember what gallery, but it, the show was on West Broadway in Soho back when galleries were there. And I must have been really early on in my undergrad. And we went in, and the, the you know, those paintings are like, they were colossal. They were mm-hmm. like, you know, 16 feet high or something. They were just monsters. And uh, they were they were so, they felt so raw and naive or something. They really kind of like made a an impact. But yeah, Louis Bourgeois, I mean, you were seeing bangers back in the day. So that was my first, um, interning there was started to be like my first introduction with contemporary art. Um, so then I started to kind of understand more the larger art ecosystem and right. understand art as it exists in the current moment, not just like in historical context. Yeah. So while that was happening, another job I had around that age was I worked for um, a woman named Montgomery Harris that had a boutique in Harlem. Mm-hmm. And um, it was like on, was this Frederick Douglass Avenue? Yeah, it was on Frederick Douglass in Harlem um, near 135th Street. And I, I remember she used to always go to the studio museum to like see the shows there, and that was like a big, a big um, source of inspiration for her. So yeah. I remember I started to really frequent the studio museum too a lot in Harlem around this time. So then there as well, I started to really start to see a lot more contemporary art and more contemporary art from like you know, the Black diaspora. So that was of also course. like a yeah. big moment for me as well. I remember going to like the openings there too around the time, like, seeing, like, Hende Wiley, like, would be there and stuff like that. It was, like, a big deal. I mean, like, so many people, like, swarming him, like, in the street. <laughs> and, like, so I remember that also. So it was a good moment, actually, for art in New York that time. Um, right. Yeah. And, sure. yeah, in retrospect, like, looking at looking back at it, it was actually a really, really, really interesting moment. So I, um, because I was starting to, my interest was really starting to peak around this age, to um in the arts i just kind of try to put myself in different environments try to figure out more but i didn't really understand how everything worked and i I didn't really understand the different roles of people like i wouldn't be able to really articulate to you at that age like what the difference was between the gallery and the museum you know yeah yeah um and i definitely had no idea how people got from one place to the other or or got from got into either either place that seems still very mysterious that seemed very mysterious until I would say I started just showing my own work. I still wasn't something that was really, I I understood. Yeah. You know, what's crazy too, is that's gone because any student now knows exactly like everything's on the internet pretty much, you know, (laughs) like the, to your point, things could be very opaque. And 
there's probably a lot of good in the fact that transparency enters the equation for many reasons. But uh, yeah, that mystique is probably a little less. Now it's just like, okay, where do you go after school? Where, you know, what gallery do you try to get in? All that stuff. It's it's a little more open, I think. I guess it makes it more um, like a career track, right? So it's more corporate. I feel like art has become more like a corporate perspective not more corporate it's become more professionalized you know yeah especially with the um with the graduate school system it's become very very professionalized um so i guess yeah there's there's benefits to that but there's also um drawbacks but even if it's still not a it's still not a normal um, profession so i don't think you can really follow those things like you would Let's say if you want to become like a nurse, for example, it's not. Right. It's still not going to pan out like A to B to C to D. I know that's why it's so funny when people try to define it. Of like, okay, well, here's what you do. I mean, I'm sure you've seen like Instagram reels where like, here's how to get your art. Here's how to show and get. It's like, yeah, as much as you want to try to map it out, it's like different for every single person. Really, it's still a weird, to your point, a weird profession, and it's. I feel yeah, like anyone more transparent, but. anyone who does that, I think, is a grifter, honestly, because there's <laughs> no true. way that's going to work. I know. You can I tell know. someone it's like so what, hard, your ex- right? what your experience has been, but there's no way that you can tell someone, do this, right. do that, and yeah, then, no, you know. <laughs> no one who teaches does that, like when you're in, or at least probably no one, I don't know. As a professor, I would never say, well, here's how you're going to do it. Although I will say, I don't know if you would agree with this, you, if you work really hard and really invest in your work and then you try to meet people who might, you know, be interested in what you're doing, that's kind of the only way it's going to happen. I agree with that. I mean, that's the best advice you can give is that put everything into your work and then put yourself in, a, put yourself in the environments that you, you would want to be in. To meet right. for for the reason like you just stated to meet people um, that are are basically like minded, you know. Uh, totally. And do you know anyone who's been successful for more than five minutes who doesn't work hard? Oh no, I don't. <laughs> it's like yeah, it's like the cheat code. It's like, but I think these days the way things are framed and online. Anyways, it's another discussion. But you know, it, it, there's a perception. I think that, oh, well, you can just do this and then you'll make it. And it's like, even if you do get to show your work or you do get on people's radar, it's still, you have to bust it and just keep going. And it's, you know, I don't know. That's, it's when people start promising things, here's how to do it. It's like, "Mm, mm, yeah, it's not that simple. (laughs) And I think maybe we're moving away from this, but at least for a long time, so much of how your work is perceived is a associated with like how you are perceived as an individual yeah so that's another reason why you can't really give people these formulas because everyone has a different perceived identity so 100 how they're perceived how two different people are perceived is really going to shape you know their opportunities so um that's another reason why i say like it really has a lot to do with who you are as a person you know what i mean completely and uh yeah, I I think that's the secret. So, well, I would imagine that in Bard, is that when you really caught fire on making work and how did you start making work and how did it progress through your undergrad experience? Yes. Yeah, so, um, oh yeah. So I, in high school, I applied to so many different colleges um, and I, 
I don't really remember anymore the ones I got into, but I remember the one I got into that gave me the most amount of money and was closest to home was Bard. And the reason the reason why I applied to Bard too was because um, my friend Maddie, like my best friend from high school, she actually still is my best friend, but she said she wanted she told me to go with her to the info session. I didn't even know about Bard. She's like, oh, this is a school that's good for art, you know. I was like, okay, whatever. So I went with her to the info session. That's how I heard about the program. That's why I applied. Um, so when I got to Bard, you have to do these th- this thing there called moderation. Um, to like, that's when you kind of declare your major and you have to apply for it, and then you get accepted. I think this happens your sophomore year. I should really know this. I teach at Bard now. I think this happens at sophomore year, sophomore year, either your freshman or sophomore uh, year. And then, but. Um, <laughs> I so you have to make a decision like a, a firm decision like what what do you want to study um you have to do it relatively early on in your um academic career so yeah. I was still torn between this this idea okay do I want to study something um like art history do I want to study um sociology which I actually also really loved or do I want to study art like what should I, what should I do and um I believe you have to do this your sophomore year. So it was the summer. It was the summer I was home before sophomore year, and I was working at another gallery. Actually, this one it was a gallery in Harlem called Essie Green Gallery. Mm-hmm. So a man named Sherman Edmison he owned and ran this gallery, and um, I loved working at this place. It was really close to um, where I grew up, and I would just walk there. And Sherman also just kind of like I'm going on a side note, but he had all the most amazing like black art. I mean, Alma Thomas's, Jacob Lawrence, Romare Bierner's. He had all of this stuff in this gallery that was in the basement of like this one of those corner brownstones on Convent Avenue. And and his gallery was there in the the basement. Um, So, yeah, I would like work there on Saturdays. But it wasn't, I mean, when they had openings or events, a lot of people came. But a lot of times it was pretty, it was like a lot of downtime. So I was asked Sherman like a ton of questions. So I remember I was talking to him one day and I was asked, telling him that, you know, I, I'm in school now. I'm not sure what to major in. I feel like maybe majoring in art is going to be too risky. So I might pick something slightly more practical. He said, no, no, no. If you're going to do it, you got to do it 100%. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> that was Thank like, God for that guy. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? Yeah. <laughs> And coming from him, I felt pretty inspired by because he had known so many artists, especially black artists. I mean, forever, you know. Yeah. And I was like, okay, yeah, like whatever. Like, what do I have to lose? You know what I mean? So, so I went got back to school. uh, That is just a side note. Thank, thank goodness he made that or made that impression on you because, (laughs) I mean, it's it would have been a bummer if we didn't have your work. (laughs) (laughs) I guess we wouldn't have known, but you know, I, I joke, and you know, we were talking earlier about Devin. You know, he was a science major before he moved over to art. And I'm like, what if he stayed in science? We would I did not know that. That's yes. True. Yeah. He made the transition <laughs> in undergrad. So, um, but anyways, so he sort of gave you the, the gumption to maybe yeah. go all in. So I was like, you know what? That's a good point. So I just figured, okay, when I go back to school, I'm going to definitely um, moderate into studio art because that, that was the major. That is the major at Bard. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so Bard was really the place where I decided that I really wanted to focus on art um, and to major in it. And um, Bard has a really fantastic studio art program. They give you like studios starting like, in your junior year, um, which is really awesome. 
and we have great faculty, really beautiful, nice, supportive, kind faculty um, were, were the kind of faculty I had at Bard. Um, and it was, a, it was a great experience being there studying art. And they all gave me the confidence to, when I was ready, to apply for graduate school, which I did the year after I graduated. So you took an extra, you took a year in between? Yeah, I, so I took a year. I, I graduated and went home. Um, I just worked at like this random place at in Chelsea Market, this like salt and olive oil company. And then I stayed home. Um, the money that I made from that job, I like rented some hours at the like Lower East Side um, print shop and oh nice i made some some new pieces so i can round off my portfolio for grad school because at that time i mostly worked collage based no at that time i was mostly working in printmaking like mono like mono prints so yeah yeah nice i um yeah i had had some good pieces from my senior thesis show and then i just wanted to make a couple new works for that year so I did that, and yeah, I applied to graduate school. Again, I applied to a, a group of schools, and the one that um, was was my number one, but was also the one that gave me like the best package was Yale, and it was a cl- again the closest to home. It's right in New Haven, which is only an hour and a half from Harlem. So, so that experience, I'm sure, was a little different. Yeah, yeah, it was a different experience. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just like you know the, the age that you're in. The age that you are, it's just a more, it's a more tumultuous time in your life. Yeah, um, for yeah. me, it was like 23 to 25. So I just went through a lot of changes. Um, also, Yale is a more competitive environment than, you know, my bard, my hippie bard cocoon. Um, so, right, yeah. <laughs> and also for right, me. Was it, was it tough or was it, it, looking back, do you feel like it motivated you? And it was extremely tough. It was like a tough in terms of the workload. It was tough socially. Um, it was tough in terms of the culture of the school, because I am um, Bard is a very very liberal environment. So I forgot what it was like to be in such a conservative environment. Again, I was yeah. familiar with it because I you know I I went to quite a conservative prep school for high school. So I and then I. But I had kind of forgotten that whole experience, <laughs> having right. gone to Bard, because Bard is so oh, that's true. open. Yeah, yeah. So um, Bard is like such an open place. So when I went back to when I went to Yale, I was like, okay, I had to get back into this, into this mindset, you know. So, but I knew, yeah, a, I knew. It's a, a switch. <laughs> I knew the mindset, though. I knew the the program. Like I, I, I understood that program. So I just it was a matter of remembering it. So, yeah. I wonder how different it was when you were there than when I was there, because I think whenever I write as I was graduating, I think they a lot of that older faculty retired or transitioned and they brought in like a bunch of new people and then there's a new building. But I would imagine that the culture of it is still I mean, it was pretty intense, you know, and then I did the opposite right after I went to Skowhegan, which was like. It was such a refreshing, it was like dessert after a heavy meal, you know, <laughs> they're like, yeah, we're all just here hanging out, making art. And they didn't refer to the professors or teachers as teachers. They were like participants or something. I don't know. It was just, it was very chill, you know, <laughs> and we had amazing, it was like John Waters or, you know, Grady, Byron Kim, wow. Tom Friedman, Suzanne McClellan. It was like an amazing year or not year experience right after the you know, the intensity and competitiveness of graduate school. But you kind of, you went the other way. 
yes, I went the other way. And it's like we had amazing faculty um, at Yale. Like Byron, for example, he was one of the faculty members that was like a real like breath of fresh air. Fresh air. He's the best. He's the best. Um, so it's not. It's not even. It's not even the faculty for per se or the students. It's just the culture of the environment. I would say maybe even the yeah. space is just imbued with this intensity. So whoever enters that space, regardless of what their nor- what their normal baseline is, they kind of become transformed by yeah. <laughs> by just being in that being in the school, being within the institution. So, um, I would say that the graduate program at Yale was like a very like institutional experience. Like it felt like you're being, I was being institutionalized while there. And um, it's only a two year program. So it wasn't like it was a very, very long experience. Um, But I am thankful. It goes by quick, right? (laughs) It goes by fast, but it's it's very intense. Like a lot happens during that time, but I'm very thankful for it because um, I met so many amazing artists there that I don't know how or when I would have met them otherwise. And we met each other in a very, um, I think, delicate point in our lives, which I'm also really thankful for. So we were able to create a certain kind of connection because of that, that I think will always right. exist. Um, yeah, and sure. when I describe, when I was describing like my, when I, when I would call my brother back home and like describe to him like how the program was going or how it felt, he was like, it feels more like a, a fraternity than a school, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like, you know what? That's a perfect way to describe that program. Because it's like something you go into. Even You could not even have been friends with someone who was there. Or you could not even maybe like each other. But because you went to that together, you will always kind of, you know, have a certain level of respect for, for, for one another. And... You will support them, you know what I'm saying? Because you understand what it what it what it was like, and you have a certain kind of empathy from that situation. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. <laughs> you know what I, I mean? It's funny because I I love comedy, and I listen to a lot of comedians who've been on SNL, and I feel like it's a similar thing where it's this intense environment where there's a sort of quirky seriousness to it, but an intensity, and it's slightly traumatic, but it's also one of the most amazing times because it's like this condensed, you know, learning and experience, and I don't know. I think it's good to go through things like that and test yourself, you know what I mean? It's not the most comfy environment, but there's something to be said for, it's like boot camp or something, you know? It was like a boot camp, like art boot camp. And yeah, you if you should, yeah, exactly. And if you and if you take it, if you take it seriously, right, you can get in shape per se. Like you're, um, I think my work grew there so quickly in a way that yeah, maybe I could have happened upon these realizations on my own at some point, but it definitely would not have happened that fast. And um, the the things that I found to be emotionally jarring about the experience. Um, I think prepared me honestly for dealing with, you know, other situations that I, you know, I had to encounter um, after leaving school in regards to, like dealing totally. with other other institutions, like dealing with yeah, dealing with the galleries, dealing with um, museums, dealing with collectors, dealing with lo- lots of other lots of other circumstances that are not always e- either so comfortable um, as an as an artist working. In, Right. Work as contemporary artist. So honestly, it's kind of you know. I think the school just mimics a lot of um, 
situations that you're going to encounter anyway. So you might as well just get a crash course on it. Right. Yeah, you can get in shape by working out at home, but if you go to boot camp, <laughs> you know, it's going to be more intense. You're going to move through it quicker or something. But um yeah, I think I think those experiences can be really useful. There are some people though who don't it doesn't take like they just bail like either mentally or literally, you know what I mean? So, but I think, you know, to, when you get out of school, no matter who you are, I I feel like there's that time afterwards where it's so quiet that it's, it's the, it's again, it's an extreme, you know, in relation to having all these people looking at your work and talking about it. And then I think there's this post school growth that happens too, where you can just sort of let yourself get back into what you're doing, which is really nice. Did you have that? Um, I did. I mean, what is this thing? Well, back to what you were saying about some people like not being able to manage the boot camp experience. That is why I personally don't know if that way of teaching is is the healthiest. Right. I agree. Because because some people. Right. It's like some people can encounter like an injury. Right. (laughs) That they cannot recover from. So let's say you're using the boot camp analogy like someone might. Like tear their their ACL or something <laughs> like there's right and it's was it was it worth it was it worth pushing people like that hard if yeah most maybe most of the people get through the program but maybe someone that was really talented now has this injury that now they don't they don't have the ability to return to their former ability I feel like that totally is agree. if that even if that happens to like one or two people it's not worth having a couple of people do you know excel faster than they would have yeah i think you have to find a medium the healthy yeah. medium where there's empathy but also a an expectation of an intensity of you know effort but but not to the point to where you know like you're saying where it destroys people or something because there are going to be some people who go into that environment and the intensity of it makes them step up and then they realize oh wow you know, you do have to push yourself. And when they do, they really flourish and they make a lot of stuff and it it makes them, it pushes them to be better, but the opposite can happen. So I think if you, you know, if you work both ways, I mean, I don't teach now like I was taught and I don't parent the way I was parented. I mean, when I did stuff wrong as a parent, there was a much different rubric for (laughs) discipline and all that than now. And I think we're just, we've understand, we've learned that there's certain things that, you know, just didn't, I don't know. They don't fly anymore. It doesn't work, you know. Yeah, exactly. It's good about it's. It's like you say. You have to find a healthy medium. I think that now, from what I've heard, because you know, again, it's completely different faculty there. That the program is much different. Like it goes through these right. different, you know, evolutions depending on who's running the program. Um and, but yeah. So, but I mean, ultimately, for me, I feel like that kind of level of intensity was beneficial. So I'm thankful yeah. for for that, at least from my own experience, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and I remember. Sorry, what so was the other question? Yeah, getting well, out I was of just, school. I was just, no, I was talking about like, because I think it's interesting for people to hear artists' experiences when they come out of that school or whatever, when they make those transitions into, okay, now it's just me and my studio. Oh and yeah, that kind of push and that sort of it, it can either be freedom, it can be isolating. You know, how did you transition? Obviously you made it work and you're making amazing work. So how did that happen, you know, out of school and setting yourself up and and pushing the work out of that environment? Well, I was, yeah, I was happy to graduate from school. I was like relieved. And then, um, I was like happy to like get out of school. So, 
Um, I remember I got my studio. I moved into the, the studio that I ended up staying in for years. I first moved in with like, I don't know, like seven other girls from my program. And we just kind of chopped the studio up and we were all in there together. Um, but that first summer, one of my friends from graduate school, she had like organized for us to go to Fountainhead actually for a month in Miami. So I remember I had, I first, I just left. Like I got out of school, then I got my studio set up. I moved out of my, my, um, my, my Yale studio. And then I was, I went to Miami for like a month for that residency with my friend, which is really nice. So that was pretty exciting. But I always had so much other stuff going on, uh, especially like in my 20s or like really chaotic. I always had so much other things going on, like in my, in my, my life, like my personal life, this thing, other. I could never really even like get that deep into my head about, about, I, I couldn't really focus even that much on like what was going on. I was always just trying to like get through some kind of like <laughs> yeah. micro crisis, which I don't think was good, but in some ways it helped me not. I didn't have enough time sometimes to think about what was happening. I just had to keep right. going with things. There's already so many, there's always so many micro fires going on that I just kind of always had to just try to get through that. It. I never, yeah. I really wasn't overthinking things. It wasn't until maybe now in my life, things are kind of settling down. So a little bit That's almost. Good. So now <laughs> I have time to think like, wow, like, you know, but for so long, I remember just always so much. So there's always some kind of micro crisis going on that mm -hmm. I um, was never. I was always kind of just going, like yeah. just kind of like going to the next thing. Like so. Well, but, um, at least you're not <laughs> bored, right? <laughs> oh my God, far from bored for sure. Yeah, yeah, so far from bored. But it must be nice. I would imagine. Well, you said that now things are a little like settling a touch or whatever, but the, I can imagine being also upstate and being a little out of an environment that's so hectic. That must be nice as far as your relationship to your work. Imagine your studio's near where you are. So mm -hmm. there must be something calming about that. Oh yeah. I, I definitely love being upstate because it's like super relaxing here. Um, very, very calming um i like being next to nature but i'm not i'm not quite like in the woods or anything like in hudson i live like in the city yeah well, what you what they call a city up here and then my studio yeah, is no, like the main street area the main like street area yeah right. and then my studio is in the village of catskill so it's in the town over there okay um nice. which is which is nice it's nice for me and it's nice for um the women that work in the studio because we can always like go for a walk get a coffee um yeah. and all that you but do 2D and 3D there, or is the 3D stuff separate? We do we do some of the 3D work there, but most of the sculptures are produced at like a foundries or shops in the city, and then they're transported to the studio um, if they're hand-painted. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we do like various things there, but mostly the two-dimensional work is produced in the studio. But Yeah, I don't even... I don't even know how to ask you about your work because I feel like it's just so good that I don't even... <laughs> It's Thank really you. good. Like no, I love the, the the collage, the the and the how it's migrated from sort of like these vacuous sort of like non-space spaces and these figures just existing to then also placing them in, in the context of you know whether it's bodegas or I mean it's just really but the in that all and all the iconography and the sort of meaning of that really hits. But it's also too just that the tactility of it and the the sort of um, 
I don't know, there's a, there's like a line work, even though, you know, a lot of it is sort of like collage and, but the, the whimsy of it is the, and there's like this balance, this off balance balance of everything that is really kind of poetic. And, um, I don't know how to talk about it, but it's, it's there and uh, I'm there for it. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And that off balance balance, I definitely, I really identify with that because that's a hundred percent something I try to, um, that's definitely the kind of vibe I try to cultivate with the work. Yeah, um, it works. But yeah, I'm thinking of, again, so I'm, sometimes the questions like settle in. <laughs> I When I first moved into my studio, I did have, I had kind of met like a, um, a dealer like early on. Like I had a gallerist pretty soon. So I think mm-hmm. in some ways that role that the, um, like my professor had in graduate school became kind of... Um, transferred into like my my first dealer so but it was completely it was a similar dynamic but it was um completely different because you know whereas the professor will give you like criticism or give you kind of speak to you about your work in more of an analytical way it was like none of that when you're dealing with uh, your dealer or at least my first dealer so yeah, so then I was like, oh, at first I felt like, oh my god, this is so much easier. This is so much easier than school. <laughs> you know, school was so hard compared to this. <laughs> you know, so, like, yeah. <laughs> so I remember feeling a bit of exhilaration from that, like thinking, like, oh god, this is like compared to school, this is going to be like easy street. You know. Yeah. At first, that's at first you feel that way at first. Then you start to realize that 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 relationship also is complicated. It's more complicated. <laughs> oh yeah, it's but, got its own. It has its own complications. Sure. But initially, I remember feeling that, like, oh, wow, like, this is going to be, what a relief, you know? But then, obviously, that wears off. Also, too, did you get to the point that, um, I, I liken it to, you know how you get older, and there's a lot of, like, idiosyncrasies and quirks in your mind or actions that you're like, oh, yeah, that's my parents. <laughs> and I feel like when you go to school, there's a lot of questions, and there, what what you're talking about, a lot of that sort of, like, difficult analytical breakdown all that stuff ends up just entering your head so it's like a solo dial you know it's it's your own but it's obviously not going to be as intense as you know other you know 10 other voices critiquing your work but it kind of lives inside you where you're like "Mm, should i be doing that or is this you know do i need to push this and it becomes sort of internalized but probably in a more productive way yeah, I mean, those dialogues do become internalized. Like, I still think about things that um, professors that I respected told me um, in graduate school and in undergrad. I mean, or just people, just people that have said things to me that kind of stuck with me from just, I mean, opening or someone I met randomly, you know? Yeah. As it was, if it was meaningful, you know? So sometimes, yeah, sometimes things it, just stick with sometimes you. Sometimes it sticks. Yeah, yeah. Did yeah, you ever have you. any of that, uh, like someone giving you input on your work and you're like, hmm, you know, and it just stuck in there? Oh, yeah, 100%. There have been, definitely been things like that. I'm trying to remember if there's anything particular I can, I can like, I, um, like an expression or something, like a line someone said to me. But they're all, like, constantly just rattling around in my subconscious, I'm sure. <laughs> so, yeah. Like, my favorite at Yale was, I think I might have told this story before, but Matthew Ritchie came as a visiting artist, and he came to my studio, and he walked in, and he was like, all right, <clears throat> he said, do you want me to talk about how your lines are kind of crappy and like bleeding? Or do you want me to talk about conceptual stuff? <laughs> oh my God. And I was like conceptual stuff. <laughs> but then later on, um, Robert Reed was there, you know, and he had yes. worked in a similar way. And so we had a, 
a crit and I was like, Hey, can you t- show me how to make my lines not so crappy? Was like, yeah, <laughs> just use matte medium. And I was like, that's all it was. No one told. <laughs> it's amazing though. Like those little light bulb moments, you know, that can really have an effect. Yeah. Another one of my favorite faculty there, Robert Reed. Uh, amazing. He was, I really loved him. I know some people were rubbed the wrong way with his exercises and stuff, but I didn't have him as, as an undergrad. So I didn't have him as an undergrad. I didn't have those courses, but he, we had really great conversations about work. Yeah, me too. Um, I think I, I think it, it's something I can remember is that when Steve Locke was there, cause he was one of the visiting professors. This uh-huh. is when I was still working a lot in printmaking. Um, he was talking about what it meant that I was running these figures through the press and what it means mm-hmm. to have that level, level of pressure exerted onto um, the black oh, female wow. body. I always thought yeah. that was really interesting. That's something I still think about quite, quite a lot. Yeah, that is really interesting. And then collaging too, that sort of like pressing, you know what I mean? Adhering yeah, it is. these sort of, the, these sort of, I, and it, I don't know how you feel about this because, you know, a lot of people, when they look at my work in reproduction, they think it's like super flat or whatever. But when you get in person, there's a lot of layers. They're just really thin. That's what I love about collage. It's so tactile, but it's pretty thin, you know, it's just, but it's those edges. It's that, that pressing and that adhesive of those layers that really gives it a sort of architectural feel, you know? I totally agree. Yeah. My work looks completely different photographed than it does in person. I know you got to see it live, I think. It's so important. It's like music. Do you, um, what would you, what would you say your artwork sounds like if you could, like, is there a band or a kind of music or something that you would equate to it? People actually ask me that a lot because they feel like the figures are, like, very musical or, the, or that they look like they're dancing. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I don't know. Like I don't. I don't imagine there being really any sound in a lot of the um, in a lot in a lot of the works. I, if anything, I feel like it would sound just like the rustling, like the rustling of like a body. You kind of can hear your own hair, like against your neck, or kind of how your clothing kind of sounds when you like rub your hands across it. I feel like it would just sound like that almost. You know. Right. So I don't. Like that's like kind the of the movement. Of yeah, the sound of being or the sound of movement. I, I don't imagine that there would be like any kind of particular soundtrack around the mu- around the figures. But I definitely but do understand. you think aesthetically it looks like a kind of music? You know what I mean? Like some people will, like if it's classical or jazz or, you know, whatever, hip hop. I mean, do you associate or hear music sometimes and think like, that's got the vibe of my work? Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I always do. I mean, for me, the music that, that gives me that feeling is usually like hip hop or rap or um, R&B. But that's because mm-hmm. not because of necessarily how it sounds or the content in the music. It's because of the layering. So especially yeah. rap music, right? There's so many layers to it. So when I when I listen to like a rap song, I'm thinking about how they're layering different like beats and different like acoustic elements, I do think like that's the same logic that I'm using when I'm making a painting. Because you have like, a, you right. have a certain kind of base that you're using, which is a substrate, which for me would be the canvas. And then you're like adding on these different affects, which for, for me would be equivalent to the applique elements. So, and then there's certain kinds of, um, maybe it's like, maybe it's an ad lib in the song, which for me would be like a, a, a pop of color or this one bit of the formula that's, 
not occurring at the same rate as all the other acoustic notes, but is there to add a bit of attention, right? Yeah. So I feel like the the logic of like beat making, I identify with as it being able to form a collage. Yeah, completely. I've always thought, you know, sampling, because like I'm old enough to like growing up, my friend was you know, really into, I mean, we called it rap music then, you know, like Houdini and stuff like that. We were listening Mm -hmm. to that. And then there was this prevailing thought when we listened to that stuff that people were like, that's not music. They're not, because they weren't playing it live. They were sampling. But sampling obviously is such a collage based medium. You know, you're taking, and the art of that over the years has become much more considered and realized. But I love these new, I follow an account online where they, break down samples and then they show how it'll be like Dilla stretching out like an old R&B song and then adding a beat from this other track and then they you can like visualize how they're putting these songs together it's really cool to be able to see the breakdown of that stuff yeah I agree I love thinking about that and when you're able to come across something that kind of explains the layering um, it's really amazing and yeah, so I feel like I'm really, ins- I love listening to rap music because of the layering, like the layering of the music. And it's also the energy, like the intensity. Um, I always try to provoke that level of intensity in my work. Something that can really make you feel like your heart is possibly beating faster. Like something that can evoke the same feeling as a, of a drum. And a drum is something yeah. that is just really, um, it's like a, it's an ancient means of communication. So and I feel like the, the drum is so heavily tethered to um to rap. Yeah, and it's that percussion is just vibration and sound waves are vibrating your eardrum and it's yeah, the science of it is kind of amazing. That it actually is moving your body literally, you know. And I've been to a few shows where it actually did move me literally. It's so loud. <laughs> <laughs> That's <fair. laughs> Which is pretty great. Um so so what are you working on now? What do you have going on? You have a book, right? Didn't you just do a signing? Um, yes. I Last year I had a book. Well, this year. The year's almost over. <laughs> but in 2023, I've had a book come out um, with La Presse Do Real. And it shows, it's a book kind of um, dedicated to two exhibitions I did last year. One at um, the Consortium in Dijon and the other at the Kunstmuseum in St. Gallen. And it's a traveling show, but the show the show evolved from one location to the other. So the book shows both of these exhibitions along with other works that are kind of related to the paintings and sculptures shown um, in these exhibitions. And, and there's commission of like from maybe about seven different writers as well that's in the book. So I did a signing for that in Miami um, last week during the fair. And in January 2024, I have another book coming out on my Bodega Run series, which I'm really excited about. Nice. So that's coming out in well soon. It's very soon now. Yeah, it'll be January. January 11th is going to be the um, actual book launch. It's going to happen at the Swiss Institute in New York. Nice. Well, congratulations on that. Do you have any work going up anytime? I mean, where can people best see your work? coming up or online, et cetera? Well, there's going to be a, a um, project space exhibition at the Swiss Institute to accompany the book launch. Um, mm-hmm. So that's anyone that's in New York or the Northeast, they can see my work there. And um, f- 
for people who follow my work abroad, I have an exhibition at the Espo Museum in Helsinki in May 2024. Are you going? I will be going to install and to be there for the opening. So I'll be out there. Once before for a site visit. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, that's that area. I mean, I haven't been there, but uh, Denmark, I was... I was at Denmark and it blew me away. Like there's, yeah. That, that was my first time in Scandinavia. I had never gone prior to that. So this would be my second time. Yeah, the design there, just as they're getting it, you know, things are That's true. nicely laid out. <laughs> um, well, as I said earlier, I mean, there's there's artists out there who make really great work and are really interesting. And then there's artists where I'm like, oh, thank goodness that person exists and makes that work. And I feel like you fall into that category. So I'm really excited that you, you know, took the time to talk to me today and and thankful for that. Well, thank you for having me. Um, And I'm happy we were able to speak. This is a a really meaningful conversation. It made me think about a lot of things I hadn't thought about for a while, actually. Dust off those those high school, junior high, grade school (laughs) cobwebs. For sure, (laughs) yeah. um, Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much. Thank you. Episode 400 in the books. Many thanks to Shabalala Self for that conversation. And many thanks to Golden Artist Colors and Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. Many thanks to all you listeners. I have a couple things. I have a book that's called Why I Make Art that is based off the podcast, and um, I think it's a pretty good collection of essays on features on some of the artists that I spoke to. It's got some great images, some sketchbook sketches in there. It's still available. You can get it through Altelier Editions, the publisher, and you can find their website by Googling Altelier Editions or Why I Make Art. I also have an upcoming show in March. I think the opening is March 28th at Miles McHenry Gallery. So mark a calendar for that. It would be great to see some of you out there at the opening and to see the show. I've been working on that for about a year and a half. And i got a couple other shows coming up next year as well, but the one in New York is the focus now. Uh, if you could leave a rating and review for the podcast, that really helps it. And if you could tell a friend, that helps even more. Spread the word. It's been a long time since 2015 when I started this, and um, it's just as fun and as engaging as it ever was. So um, thanks so much for taking the time out to listen to it. <laughs>